up, nerds? Welcome to Gom Jabber with the Muadweebs, a Doom podcast, both thorough and flippant and occasionally, uh, oh shit, what's the word I want? God damn it. I went off script. I'll yeah, over. script is ruined. Dr- Wait, was drunk the word you were looking for? <laughs> <laughs> Inebriated? Unsober. Unsober. <laughs> Super so- and occasionally sober. There it is. All right, there's your cold open. Hello and welcome to Gom Jabber with the Muadweebs, a Doom podcast both thorough and flippant and usually vulgar. We're reading through Frank Herbert's 1965 sci-fi magnum opus, Dune, two chapters at a time when we feel like it, sometimes more, sometimes less, uncovering connections and Dune spiracies along the way. I'm Lily, Reverend Mother Dr. Banana Moyham Brisland, <laughs> your keeper of the truth, Keeper of the Hattersnacks and your main host for today. Say hi to the other dweebs. Hi, I'm Alec Boyle, your Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, expertly trained in spotting thigh blemishes, apparently. Uh, <laughs> I do the thankless tasks of uh, engineering, editing, setting up crossover episodes. You know, all the big oh, so deals to keep our numbers blowing up. Gonna get famous and rich. Chombucks. Someone who's already been famous. Say hello, Josh. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Josh Stevens, uh, formerly of Live Off Group on Fame, uh, our fearless troubadour, uh, Gurney Halleck. And uh, and actually, I guess then today that would make also make me our uh, Thufur Howitt, planting uh, great seeds of um, beautiful plots and within plots into our, uh, our Baron's ear. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us this week. We are just starting book three. Of Dune, not to be confused with the third in the trilogy, but the book is divided into three books. Uh, if you missed it, don't miss it. Don't sleep on our special bonus edition trailer with uh, "Let's Get Weirding." Awesome, my Benny, new Benny Desert triumvirate. We're so excited to chat with them. Go back, make sure you hit that up. And I don't know. Let's get into it. What do we read this week? Who wants to read the quote? This week, we read chapters 38 and 39, the first two chapters, as Lily said, of book three of Dune. Uh, Josh, do you want to do the quote, or should I? No woman, no man, no child ever was deeply intimate with my father. The closest anyone ever came to casual camaraderie with the Padishah Emperor was the relationship offered by Count Hasmir Fenring, a companion from childhood. The measure of Count Fenring's friendship may be seen first in in a positive thing. He allayed the Lanzrad suspicions after the Arrakis affair. It cost more than a billion Solaris and spice bribes, so my mother said. And there were other gifts as well, slave women, royal honors, and tokens of rank. The second major evidence of the Count's friendship was negative. He refused to kill a man, even though it was within his capabilities and my father commanded it. I will relate this presently. From Count Fenring, a profile by the Princess Irulan. Is this the first book that's not been about Muad'Dib? Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's 100% the first non-Muad'Dib. No, I know. I was not, like, what? Yeah, you're missing one. All right, tell me oh, about say, it. Oh, in my father's house. You got it. House, oh, yeah. damn. Y'all come with the that. deep knowledge like this week. <laughs> um, there's also Arrakis Awakening. But it's, that it's about Fenring, right? We only just saw him, really, in person in the last couple of chapters. Mm-hmm. And now he gets his own Irulan book? I think she was waiting for it, right? Like, Oof. I mean, she might have written that one before she ever wrote one about Paul. It's true. Uh, 
true. This could be her, oh, right? Yeah, that's where she got her start. Okay. This is like one of her deep Pretty cuts. Like we're going back in time. She's she's plugging one of her old novels. Did um, I tell you all about talking to my students and asking them about their hot summer jams? This is talking about deep cuts. This is relevant, I promise. And I was like, what'd y'all listen to this summer over Zoom? And then one of them was like, this Khalid song, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, DJ Khalid? And they looked at me, all of them, collective 40 Zoom eye rolls all at the same time. <laughs> They're like, no, Dr. B, not DJ Khalid. I was like, oh, I mean, I knew that. Uh, what? We're the best! <laughs> so, I would, what is a spice bribe? And is this just a reminder that everyone in this universe who is in power is just gorked out of their mind, not only on the up or down or pills, which we haven't seen for a while, but just pure well, cocaine, spice I mean, cane. That's not true. We, we see we see the drugs right in the beginning of the episode with the food. <laughs> what are you talking about? True. He's super high all the time. I also want to point out that getting high on spice based on the fact that you can also make plastic out of spice means they're literally just huffing gas. <laughs> I had this note later when some other chapter was like, plastic? I forget that there's spice plastics. Yeah, so it's just a petroleum product, which makes sense because it's some form of of petroleum worm. No, yeah, so I was, I, this is, this is actually something we'll talk about next week when we get to the deeper desert chapters, but yeah, um, but yeah, basically, it's just in theory, in Frank's mind, right? It's some kind of super hydrocarbon that not only powers spaceships but lets you th- see through time. Amazing. Huh. Oh, so, also about the spice bribes, aren't those just bribes? <laughs> I to figure out. So, my as as the Frank explainer, right? My interpretation of that would just be <laughs> that apologist. Sometimes you don't want to... I, th- I think that cash is sort of like very limited in its sources and traceable. And so sometimes if you just give somebody a brick of spice, it has a different sort of like legal ramifications okay. than sending Let's, them cash. I like that you brought up the brick of spice because I want to know, how do they package and transport and measure spice? Like if you are going to give someone a spice bribe... Does it come in a baggie? Does it come in a brick? Like what? What's like the? Wait, it's coming in a barrel. Is it barrels actually, of spice? We should talk about this next week because I have a lot more questions about this next week. There's, Fine, it's in, there's it. in chapter stuff. Let's just table this for a week because it's gonna come up. What? You've never I have been trying to facilitate these Dune conversations <laughs> all season, this entire time, and suddenly, oh yeah, let's table it. Let's just put a pin in it, guys. We'll put it in the, in the conversation lot. parking lot. Let's do it. <laughs> Hey, I'm, oh, a cor- I'm a corporate drone too, Lily. Don't worry. <laughs> Lily, Lily, anything we can do to vex you. <laughs> Cheers. The thing, the thing that vexes me most <laughs> is undermining my facilitation. You know me too well. You're the mentat to my Benny Gesserit. Okay, let's have some actual conversations about the book. Maybe we can move on from the quote because it's too loaded. It's just, there's too much. Let's it's talk about the chapter. It's a pretty intense quote. Do we have to move on? Can we? Can I ask a question? You can ask a question, but if it's something that's going to come up later, I'm going to tase you <laughs> through the screen. Um, we don't know this story, and I guess I'm just curious, Boyle, do you know the story that they're talking about, which is the second major evidence of Count Fenring's friendship that was negative, where he refused to kill somebody? 
Uh, I do not know for sure which one it is. Based on what we've read so far, there is a possibility that he was instructed to kill Thufir Howitt when he went to Gibi Prime on Fade's 17th birthday and oh. declined because he knew it would sow more chaos in the Harkonnen ranks. Interesting. I, I, was, I had that note for myself. I was like, what did I miss here? She says presently, that feels like too much of Frank being like, read between the lines. Now that you bring that up, I wonder if it was to kill Fade since it was... The Emperor's wish not to have Fade be the successor. Oh, and then the Benny Jesserts were like, let's get the DNA before we off this little brat. Yeah. <gasps> Dune Spiracy. Oh, interesting. So the so Lady Fenring So so that would actually contradict the notion that he was capable. What? Well, what? It says that he was capable, but the Benny Jesserit didn't want it to happen. Lady Fenring certainly could make him not capable of doing it. Oh, well, he was, sure, but she wouldn't necessarily know that. She's too low in the Bee Gees to get the, the deep dish. Maybe. Hmm. Or she's just lying. But yeah, good point. Okay, into the chapter. I think there's some really great stuff in this. It opens with the, the Baron Vladimir Hakonin rage down the corridor. I, how do you rage down the corridor in suspensors? Yeah, like, what does that look like? Bumper bowling. I just imagine him <laughs> kicking his feet. Just like throwing a little baby tantrum. <laughs> I love um, it. Uh, I I just want to talk about it. And they, so we st- oh, we need a 30 second round now. I don't actually want to do it. Okay, so the 30 second. So I'll do here's it. my first three seconds of it. He rages down the corridor. He storms into uh, the, food. the guard captain's corridors where, cor- quarters where he's like lounging out. He's stoned out of his gourd listening to what they described as Samuda music, and all I could think of was, like, southern jam band string cheese instant, like... Wait, Lily, this is this is not rundown. This is not rundown. This is I know, is I said I only want to do that part. I no, only but, want to do that part. but that's now, a thing we should talk about in the actual description, because I want to come back okay, to it now, because Samuda I... music... Okay, okay. The third thing rundown right. is, the Baron gets sent a slave boy... Uh, we later find out, based on Thufer's information, that he knows that the slave has a poison needle embedded in his thigh that is anticipated the Baron will squeeze and die. He squeezed and died. And uh, once he finishes killing this poisoned slave, he goes to uh, berate Nafud for not keeping an eye on everybody involved in the transaction. While he is doing that, Fade shows up medium panicked because he finds out his plot has been discovered, which I gotta say, seems like a dumb move on Fade's part. Why would you show up? Just stay where you are and then you're not quite as obviously guilty. Doesn't matter. The Baron and Fade go back to the Baron's room to have a conversation. Uh, Fade the whole time is like, oh, is the Baron going to kill me? The Baron's like, I'm not going to kill you because as we've discussed, you're the only possible heir. Uh, and I'm I'm not going to consider having any real heirs. Gross. Uh, and then they talk about... Basically, they both kind of think that Thufir is in their pocket. And they sort of fence a bit over who Thufir is helping. Uh, there's lots of those double meanings that the Baron loved so much when Hasimir did them. And that's kind of it. It kind of then peters out with them uh, reaching a truce uh, because Fade realizes that he's not, he does not stand merely to inherit the House of Harkonnen, uh, but the Empire of the Known Universe. That was oh, solid. Yeah. Um, that was maybe the first actual 30 second rundown of all of our 30 second rundowns. Let's go back to Samuda music. 
Because it's the second time it's come up. And I love that it's the name of the drug and the music, which means that literally just like the music is made by people on the drug to be listened to other people on the drug to maximize their enjoyment of the drug. Yeah, so we should just start calling cannabis jam. <laughs> jam band. See? Jam music. Jam. Huh. Or acid jazz. Yeah, it works. Oh, acid jazz. I guess that's the more direct analog, mm-hmm. yeah. Little Sun Ra. I don't know if that qualifies as acid jazz. I don't yeah, know. so string cheese incident. Nabuda N- <laughs> is listening to some string cheese incident. Jamming out. I don't know. All right. What did you enjoy about this chapter, Josh? I enjoyed... um, I always like how the Baron just threatens everybody constantly. Like, he goes in and he just has this conversation (laughs) with the food. But it's basically, hey, hey, Nafood, didn't I... Do you remember when I told you to do this thing? He's like, yeah. Well, did you do the thing? Well, I... I do the thing. And then like he's like, well, you didn't do the thing very well now, did you? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. And then they just kind of go back and forth until he starts like giving him like little more more and more little pieces of it. Like, well, did you did you check the boy that got sent to me? Uh, uh, mate. Yeah, of course. Yeah, sure I did. You know, like that uh, those that conversation does it for me a lot. You know, he does it with everybody. He does it with Thufer, and then Thufer kind of pushes back a little more than uh, Nafud does. He does it with um, with Fade, and Fade, you know, you get a lot lot more out of Fade, I think, just because Fade doesn't give a shit. Um, I mean, I think Thufer gives the least amount of shit, but that's next chapter, so. Yeah, I guess that's true. But yeah, I mean, basically, this whole, this whole episode is about the Baron being a dick to everybody, right? I mean. Well, and his, like, I think it's also, a lot of ways, it's about just reinforcing the casualness of Harkonnen murder. Uh, this is actually a point mm. that that I thought about um, after our last full episode, when I also listened to the Let's Get Weirding episode about Fade's birthday party, in that it's clearly presented as a contrast with the fact that Paul kills one asshole, right, and is, like, crying over it. And they're, and they're talking about, oh, on his 17th birthday, Fade killed his 100th person. And then, mm. yeah. and, and then the Baron is like, oh, yeah, those two, those two guards, I think they, he, he thinks they might be in Fade's employ, mm-hmm. but he tells Nafud to kill them because they carried the bodies too salty, too sassy. I, I really did like that. Um... The thing that I liked even more was when, uh, Take these three men and go to the slave master, the Baron said. Garrett, the slave master, bring his body to me. Because he asked Fade what he was doing, or he asked Nafud what he was doing, I think. No, it's Fade. He's he asked like, Fade, oh, what are you doing? Fade says, I'm playing, I'm no, playing Nef- chess. Oh, Fade has beaten the slave master at chess. Did you hear that? He's like, well, Garrett, the slave master, bring his body to me when you finish that I may see it was done properly. We cannot have such inept chess players in our employ. <laughs> it's so good. There's so little, like, overt humor oh, in this book, I although I find much that. of it enjoyable. Like, that is such a good... That's so good. The Baron... The Baron is the shadiest queen in all of Dune. He is a big, yeah. old, mean-ass queen. The library is open. <laughs> he <laughs> yeah. is reading them all. <laughs> I love the Baron. Because I was starting after the Fade birthday chapter, I was like, oh, man, the Baron's on the decline. You know, he's really not hitting it. And, and we see him pulling it. You know, he's not as good as he once was. 
to quote a country song, but he is, <laughs> he's as good once as he ever was. Like he still got it in him, and we see no. him negotiating this in the chapter where he's like, even when he's talking to Fade, he's like, "Look, man, we all know I'm not going to be around forever." But don't you, you know, like you still want me around. I, you still, he's like, he's negotiating his own Value. eventual demise. Well, no, because he says I'm gonna, I'm gonna step down and be an, go into an advisory role. So he offers right. to to stay on and did literally just step down rather than having to die to uh, give his power to fade. Um, but it is interesting because the Baron loves to be this very clever. He like he likes to be amused by his own cleverness, and yeah. in this chapter. He acts like he's, I feel been, that. he's been clever. Well, yeah. I mean, he acts like he's been clever, <laughs> especially with Fade, right? He acts like he's been clever, like he's figured out this this plot. Um, and then thinks to himself, ah, good thing how it told me about this thing. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, he's like, I mean, I, but I really deserve the credit for this clever discovery because I was the one who was smart enough to bring Howard into my employ. Like, well... And I think it's funny so because right. it clearly reveals that all, like, how it could get either of them dead in very short order if he wanted, right? He wants them more at their wit's end with the number of things that try and fail to kill them. Yeah, also... To what end, right? Like, so how it thinks well, that Paul and Jessica are dead, right? Should we move on to the... to we merge in the next chapter? Because I think that's where the answer is. I think the Baron is right about what he says in the next chapter. Well, before we do that, can we talk about this... Um, this needle device that was placed inside this boy that would have killed the Baron, but while inside this boy is not killing him? I thought you'd never ask. Oh, that's a good point. I reached out to our new sponsor, uh, Harkonnen Tech Prime. (laughs) And it's a Bene Gesserit owned, it's a wholly owned subsidiary of Bene Gesserit Corp. And I'm so excited. It was piloted in the enslaved young boy community, but it's really for use by all of us um, femme identifying people out there. So if you thigh us, you die. (laughs) <laughs> so I, I I know you didn't get my reference in earlier episodes, but that's actually how that's what I was referencing. Is it a form of Gamjabar then? Is that what you're saying? Yes, it is. A, it is the newest iteration of Gamjabar technology, Gamjabar technology, and it is super subtle. It's a thigh jabber. You can put it in your clutch. <laughs> a thigh jabbar. Yeah. Oh, I I didn't get to say the name of it. You already knew. You read the copy. Yeah. Thigh jabbar. Stay safe. Stay fierce. The thigh jabbar. Thanks to our sponsors. Very nice. Huh. Yeah. I like the idea of this technology a lot. You just get all these needles embedded under your skin, and then if anyone touches you in an unwanted way, they instantly yeah. explode with poison. Like, I would put one in my lower back. Like, no, I don't I don't need you to guide me through this professional experience, <laughs> this crowd in a professional experience. Do Die. you have to use, like, your special Benny Gesserit, like, super muscle training to, like, activate the little jab thingy? Like at will, or can exactly. like, like if someone does it, with, like and you're like okay with it. If it's consensual, you don't have to poke them with it. Well, Josh, we weren't really, we weren't really supposed to divulge that part of it. But I mean, as you know, Benny Jesuits can contract or expand muscles at will. Some may know this is the Kegel <laughs> in, in the Benny Jesuit tongue. Does that apply but to you yes, in like the middle you... of your lower back? Also, is that the is that the yeah. same muscle? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's many Kegels throughout the body. Oh, this is the lower back. Kegel. And 
if it's a wanted touch, you simply relax the muscle and there's no dying in mm. the thigh bar. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. Got it. All right. Well, we are grateful for their sponsorship dollars. Uh, we look forward to continuing to represent. Uh, the spice bribes. Actually, they paid us in spice bribes, guys. It's mostly in the form of edibles, which we'll disperse later. I wondered why that showed up on my front porch. Sweet. <laughs> they taste vaguely of coffee and cinnamon. Speaking well, of, I'm hoping to have some other things delivered on uh, on both of your doorsteps before our next uh, recording in two weeks. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we we were expected to have a special guest with us, so uh, preview it. Don't just leave him hanging, Josh. Give us give us the teaser. Give us the well. This would be a um, a local brewer here in Ohio who has uh, created some Dune, and it could, it could be two different brewers. We I, I know um, two. They've collaborated on a couple of beers that are Dune inspired, and uh, we're hoping to get a couple of bottles. So we can try them out and talk about them and ask them about their uh, their experience. That's so great. Fun. That's because thrilling. The Dune movie is not coming out when we thought it would be, so we need more things. Yeah, to, we got to uh, keep up our out. content empire. <laughs> to the movie. Um, are either, well, we'll talk about it later. They should come on the show. Get famous. Working. Uh, so I think let's open up. Let's do the quote and the thirty for the next chapter because these two chapters really. It's almost weird that they're split in two, right? You like, know, for a second, I thought it such was actually a unit. three. Like, I thought there was, like, a chapter with food and then a chapter with Fade, and then a chapter with Howard. I was like, ah, oh, we're doing three chapters with the it Baron interviewing way. each of these people. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess we can we can go into it as long as we're allowed to go back to the... Yeah, no, we absolutely. For this episode, all right. it's all open field because it should have been one chapter anyway. Fair. So I'll do the quote. Sure. Deep in the human unconsciousness is a pervasive need for a logical universe that makes sense. But the real universe is always one step beyond logic. From The Sayings of Muad'Dib by the Princess Arulan. I I mean, I love when they do this. Like, the sayings, the wisdom, the, you know... (laughs) The haughty shit that that Deeb said. Um, (laughs) that's, That's one of the books, right? Um. <laughs> yeah. Instead of chicken soup for the Fremen soul, it's haughty shit the deep said. <laughs> um. I lost so, that book. <laughs> so this was a, this was clearly a saying by Maudib, but it was not wisdom, right? This this is a, this is not quite wisdom this is right. just a say this is just a this thing he would say here and there and this also implies that frequently he it, and unbidden he really, he really <laughs> so it's like those those memes where it's like no one right and then and then yeah and then the Maudib. yeah he's just, he just oh walking through Shout the shit. shout out to spicy dude memes I need spicy dude memes to get on that meme immediately. <laughs> they have the best dude memes on the internet. Okay. He, he, no yeah. one. More deep. Uh, Deeper in the human unconsciousness. Yeah. <laughs> um, Absolutely fucking no were... one. <laughs> the universe is always one step beyond logic. Duh. What is he even Four saying later the second. Here? Like, did you just can't make sense of the universe? Is that just the whole thing? I actually kind of like this one because I, I think, like this quote too. I think it's also kind of, it's about like conceptions of fairness, right? And just like people want 
the world to fall into sort of simple, logical, predictable, fair patterns. And this quote, at least, is saying, like, no, that, like, not only is that not what really, it's, like, not even reasonable to expect it some of the time. Here's my prediction, that this is similar to earlier songs and some quotes where you're like, is this just Frank doing a bad Mockingbird translation of something he read somewhere else? This actually feels pretty Buddhist or or in mm. that realm of mm. non-dualist theology, right? Where it's like, we keep looking for a moral order. There is no moral order. There's no logical order. There just is. Uh, but it, I... And the reason I love it is because it does seem like when we get into Paul's musings about his prescience and the terrible purpose and all these things, he does he does he does he live his life that he talks about? Like he, I always get the sense that he's seeking for this logical path. Oh, interesting. Well, this may be a quote from later in his life after he realized he wasn't going to get there. So maybe it's really him yeah. being like. Uh, I couldn't find a logical order to the universe, so it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. And then I'd be inclined to believe with him. I mean, he's been tripping balls pretty hard for the last, like, you know, couple weeks. Lily, do you want to do a decades. quick content rundown of the 30 for us? Um, or if you don't feel familiar enough, I can ask Josh. Or we can ask, or I can do it again. I don't mind doing them. I don't remember this at all. I It was like, you know when you're like tired enough that you're like, I'm still reading, but there are no, there's zero marginalia in this chapter for me, which is uncommon. I'm normally sure. an underliner. So I'm going to abdicate. I'll, I'll, the, I'll do it. I'll happily I'm going to abdicate the chapter throne. All right. Go forth like a wild ass in the desert. I think I'm going to go pretty, pretty loose on this one, and then I'll let you fill in anything else that you want. Um, essentially, this chapter is all about how it, explaining to the Baron how he fucked up when he talked to Count Fenring at the 17th birthday. Um, and right now the Emperor's in a rage about the Baron and wanting to turn Arrakis into a prison planet. Um, oh, right! Because the Emperor thinks that the Baron has figured out what the Emperor has done with Seleucus Secunda and that he is going to start trying to take these these hardened locals of this really tough planet arrakis similar to um the emperor's prison planet and he's going to essentially mine the very best and turn them into the uh the baron's version of sardaukar and it all goes back to the conversation where he literally says where the baron literally says to fenring that he wants to turn arrakis into a prison planet not really understanding exactly <laughs> what he's giving up here. Um, and so the em the Emperor is doing to the Baron what the Baron always did to the Atreides. Um, just giving him way too much credit. Oh, and, um, mm -hmm. and how it doesn't know about this conversation until later when he pieces it all together. Um, but he's essentially telling the Baron about how the Sardaukar are coming from this prison planet and Again, this is this is Frank's favorite thing about, you know, the the hardened the hardened people of these tough planets are going to be the best fighters ever, and he likes loves to bring it up like every chapter. Please, Josh, we work hard to establish a clear um, theoretical through line through our. Please use the proper term for that theory. The proper term for the theory is. <laughs> 
the Booty or Boot Camp theory. Uh, so the Booty <laughs> or Boot Camp theory. Yes, we want to give credit uh, where credit back. is yep, due. Yep, it's coming back in this chapter here. Um, and then the rest of the chapter is Thufer coming up with the Baron's plan and telling it back to him where he's going to <laughs> tell the Baron that he needs to abandon uh, the beast turn him into the hated monster that he is, also accomplishing getting the Emperor off his ass uh, because he's going to make it look like the whole point of his comment about Arrakis was really just all about the spice and had nothing to do with uh, getting the Fremen to uh, to be his Sardaukar. And then um, once he does that, eventually he's going to keep raising and raising the spice quotas until the Beast fails to meet them so that he can then bring in his... Uh, savior Fade Rautha as the new uh, leader of Arrakis. Done. That was brilliant, Josh. I had I remember reading the second half of this chapter and being like, "Isn't this the same fucking plan that the Baron had the whole time?" And I was like, "Did I miss something?" And you're right. That's exactly it. You nailed that. It's been two years. It's been two. So we're exactly two years after the seventeenth birthday, um, and uh, how it's really hates the Baron. Also, I forgot that part. So I'm going to bring up a few things, and then I'll let smarter people talk. Um, the other important revelation in here, right, is the Baron spends a lot of time, and this actually, I guess, also does happen in the last chapter, but basically talking about how all Howitt cares about is killing the Emperor, because Howitt blames the Emperor for the death of the Atreides. Uh, yes. Yes. Right? So it's also... Relying on the, it, it's on also the, the Baron reiterating Howitt's plan to himself. Yeah, he, um. he, he does say a couple times when how it's giving the very plans right back to him. He's like, "Oh yes, this is how it telling me exactly what I was already planning to do." But wait, why does how it want me to do this? What's his real agenda? Is it just the emperor? Because I feel like maybe he's going to try to screw me too, which is smart. Which is smart. I, I also want to point out in the details of how it's. Uh exposition of the Sardaukar, we also find out that it is in fact a boot camp then booty theory of military development. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Neo booty boot campism. Wait, give, give, I'm, I'm not following. Why, why am I having a disconnect here? Can you, can you go a little deeper? Here? So, cause he says basically like, Oh, every Sardaukar that makes it to the level of being a Sardaukar basically has a higher standard of living than many nobles of the Lansrat. Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. Right. So the idea is... That was a mind blower for me. I was like, what? what? You, you, you exile people to... I mean, actually, I have to say, I think that in this chapter, he does a better job of making booty or boot camp sound vaguely plausible. I still don't think it results mm. in, like, super soldiers the way that Frank does... Um, but in his world of like, oh, you can train anybody to be infinitely good at anything if you try hard enough, right? It does make a certain amount of sense. And I like the way that he says like, oh, so you send these guys to this planet. They have a really fucked up life. And then when they get off, you have other people who got off of that planet tell them that it was really just a test all along and convince them that that shitty test is worth it in order to make more super soldiers who then get to live like kings right in the booty stage of booty then boot camp it's the actually the full realization of the boot camp then booty theory we've just had it twisted the whole time yeah so that's, that's alec alec did you just what are you drinking buddy that's water i wish it was in fact just rum agricole straight from the bottle but it was it was quite jarring 
I'd be far more impressed with myself if I were just chugging rum, but I'm just too old for that these days. And then the other thing I wanted to bring attention to is that I think this chapter also really hits hard on the parallels that Frank is drawing between uh, Sardukar and Cossacks. Go right, on. and the 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 Sardaukar are these soldiers of the they're the elite soldiers of the emperor, um, but they are in fact the military branch of a population that the emperor has previously and continues to abuse and oppress. Right, and he's drawing parallels to how in the Caucasus Wars the Cossacks were sort of used as the front line of the Russian military because they were mobile and uh, possessed of initiative that the regular troops were not. Is there a parallel to southern uh, the southern United States at this point right like the way that working class southern Americans are conscripted into the army through economic coercion uh, in part because of their uh, greater familiarity with firearms right like there i mean this is sort of apocryphal but i think it's still true like rural americans in particular southern rural americans especially that is i would i would argue sort of slightly differently that is a sociological outgrowth of techniques that were realized by the czars right this idea that yeah it's not like the same thing but it is at certain point leaders around the rest of the world were like oh if you get a population and you encourage them to be yeah. really good at fighting before they join the military, then the odds of them mm-hmm. being good after they join the military go up. And I and I was I because I remember reading that thinking, my God, if only if only the veterans of the United States, I don't want to get too political, but were well taken care of and enjoyed a higher standard of living. What what a world this would be. And I think the lure is in some ways the promise of a a college education that would not otherwise be accessible for a vast majority of the population and healthcare benefits for life. And these are, and I never had thought really prior to this, which is embarrassing that the, in some ways providing guaranteed healthcare to United States citizens would really undermine some of the main recruitment Mm, techniques for mm -hmm. the armed forces. That is a point I had also not thought about until uh, three seconds ago, (laughs) but Yeah, it's the same thing with free college, right? Mm-hmm. Right. 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 If oh, you can yeah. Have education and healthcare. Why would you volunteer? Yeah, volunteer. which is here. I'm doing giant I mean, if you fucking ask, air quotes. If you ask our president, internet. all those things don't mean anything anyway. You're still a your rube if you, yeah, if you join the military. Still a soccer right? and a loser. Loser. Well, loser. which I think speaks to his consciousness in that it would never occur to him that those people would not otherwise have access. To healthcare and education would never occur. Um, so hmm. here's something that we forgot that was major in this chapter. It has two. There's two huge things here. So one is uh, amongst all of the mentat splaining that Thufer is doing, uh, explaining the Baron's own plan <laughs> to him. Mantat splaining. Yeah, he mantat splaining. Yeah, he um, <laughs> he does drop some real knowledge, um, which is why the emperor felt it was necessary to destroy the Atreides. Mm, he does let some Atreides secrets straight up out of the bag. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is, this is pretty interesting. Um, and the reason for it totally contradicts the booty or bootcamp theory. 
because wait, I fell asleep reading this book. Please, I just I'm actually on I'm bringing I'm bringing it home for you. Okay, all on worm worm hooks. Yeah. So, the emperor had to destroy the Atreides, just because he felt that the duke and his men had figured out a way to train a group of fighters to be as good, maybe better, yes, than the Sardaukar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. If you remember the quote from just a few chapters ago where they talked about how they had paradise on Caladan, how could they do such a thing in such a lovely place? No, because their men who they had trained to that level were, oh, no, you're right. Yeah, no, they, how could such soft men have reached such a height of military discipline? Yeah. Because it's not the men, it's the fucking Fremen. No, 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 but we're talking about Duncan. Oh, you're saying the Iraqis. Duncan uh, Idaho had managed to... Drunken Duncan. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hmm. So th- this was the whole reason why, um, begrudgingly, the emperor had to eliminate the Atreides and decided to uh, hook up with the disgusting Harkonnens, um, despite uh, his his admiration for the Atreides. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a real good one. I also did like that... I mean, it was Mantat explaining, but I loved when <laughs> Thufer was like doing the fucking math for the Baron. It was real good. <laughs> oh, I forgot about the math. That was absolutely my favorite part of the whole chapter, for sure. I did love that. How many men have you killed? Oh, great. How many men have you lost? Uh, did you not? Did you not compare those two columns ever? An- another really interesting thing with the math um, was how many Harkonnens were lost. Compared to Fremen. Do you recall? Two to one. Two no. to one. Do you remember how many Sardaukar were lost? Five to one. Does that seem uh, odd to you at all? That, I cannot tell if that's a mistake or some sort of deeper hint or reflective of some other reality of the way the conflict is going, right? Like it's not a direct battle line to battle line fight, maybe. But I definitely noticed that. Yeah, the, the other thing that was interesting was... Um, before Thufur decided to be like, oh, you're, you're going to put fate in place because, you know, the Baron told him I'm getting, I'm getting too old for this shit. Um, he said, well, you're going to out the beast and then you're going to go to Dune and take it, take it all for yourself. He's like trying to like encourage him to do it knowing it's a death trap. Mm-hmm. Right. So I wonder if that was part of Thufur's, um, just sort of, I'm just going to try to lure, lure the Baron to go there himself. Yeah, non, uh, non-textual non trailer Gaius Mahayim quote, right? That planet is a death trap. That's right. Great great chapters. I enjoyed I enjoyed these a lot. This is why settler colonialism. But it's not, like, is, so last one, oh, one more thing with LV. One more thing with the Dr. Brislin. <laughs> the DRMVMVMVHVM. Dr. Ramblam. Uh, we just, <laughs> Ramblam, Blam, This is our concluding segment. Uh, is Arrakis a settler colonialist colony? I mean, mostly no, right? Like, it's mostly Fremen with the landed gentry that that go there to, like, like a Kenya or... Sure, right, yeah. I mean, who are essentially ghettoized, right? They have to live inside yeah. these stone formations. Much like uh, the northern much pole. modern Africa. Yeah, yeah. Africa is not a country, I'm saying, as a continent of former colonialized states. Yeah, although, all the disclaimers. I don't. This is may not make the final episode. Um, I feel like that applies far more in southern Africa. Uh, I've been 
Like, oh, I'm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Like, I'm really interested in going to... I'm thinking um, of, like, Kenya, Sierra Leone. Right. Uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, but as opposed to South Africa, which was settler colonialist fully. Not as much as they like to tell you. Right? Like, there's still... <laughs> it's still <laughs> there's still a vast... A, a very small minority down there. Um, but, yeah, like, if you go to, like... Uh, Western Africa, it's very much not like that. I, I'm really, I'm, uh, I've got a crush on Gambia right now. So, oh, why? Uh, they're doing really well, and uh, have like really stable government and fast economic growth, and they're doing a really good job playing everybody against everybody. Right? They've got the U.S. trying to get their attention, the Chinese trying to get their attention, the English trying to get their attention, uh, and I. I'm always into countries like that that are pulling shit off Interesting. Like I wonder what the Doom parallel is. Stay tuned to next week if you want to find out. If you're interested wait, 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 in wait. science fiction... No, come on. Let you me say this thing. You can say it, If you're interested done. in science, science fiction written by authors from that area, I highly recommend Nettie Okorafor. Apologies if I'm not pronouncing it right. She is a brilliant author. Lagoon is brilliant. Um... Really fun, set in... Gosh, this is going to kill me that I can't remember what it's set in. And, yeah. Josh, what's your one more one well, more thing? Y- you have one more thing. I'm going to tee it up for you here. Uh, it's a quote from that the first chapter here, uh, where the Baron's talking to his dear nephew. He says, Let my dear nephew try the taste of that. What What is he possibly tasting there? Dr. Ramblam, what, what, what's, uh, what's the Quizad Hatter snacks for this week? Oh! Uh, thanks so much. Well, you all know that I I like to eat and eat amply. This week, have y'all made? Here's what I have for my quiz at Hatter tonight for dinner tonight. The mua deliciousness of this week. Shout out to uh, Thuggish Rajkish Vic. I mine. I'm the number one fan of Thuggish Rajkish Vic on internet. She has brilliant things. Um, do you make cornbread in your house? First question. Simple answer. Just yes or no. Yes. Yeah. Is it sweet or is it savory? Savory. A tinge. I find this question reductive. <gasps> Alex, just come on. Are you eating Jiffy Mix or are you not? I just... do not usually eat Jiffy Mix, but that doesn't mean I can't, like, add some white flour or sugar to my cornbread without the world exploding. Okay. <laughs> Alec has been has been sent to the Sardaukar. Yeah. No, one? he's sent to Sardaukar, the Sardaukar planet. Seleucus what is Secundus. it? Segundus. 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 Alex's been sent there. He will come back. He will have the... What is the food equivalent of Booty or Bootcamp? Let us know if you know. Josh, do you make cornbread muffin? I don't. We usually make like a whole like paint, like a whole big rectangular Pyrex of it, but I'm not a... Pyrex! Boss. You tried... And you died. Josh, I'm so sorry. The only proper way to enjoy cornbread is in cast fucking iron. Oh, I'm not going to disagree with Heat you. Heat it up. 500 degrees. Get that fat of your choice in there. We use butter in my household. Actually, we use shortening because it has a higher heat point. And you got to get up to like 500 degrees. You want it smoking ass hot. And then once that's hot, you take it out of the oven. You put your cornbread. No flour. No wheat flour, Alec. Get the hell over Secundus. Secundus, Secundus. <laughs> You put that in there, smoking hot. You pop that shit in the oven. You got yourself jalapeno. a Quitsat Hattersnack. Yeah, you yes, do. Yes, jalapeno, cheese. Get at it. Get some fresh ground, unbolted cornmeal. 
That's the quiz at Hattersnack of the Week. Brought to you by my favorite sponsor, now an eternal and maybe has never existed, Candy Warehouse. If you like a gummy worm snack, check out Candy Warehouse for all your novelty snacking candy needs. They love Dune and they are a shy hulu dishes. The, the irony yeah. of someone who declared a Brislini jihad against me for adding <laughs> sugar to cornbread, accepting sponsorship dollars from a candy store. Candy, sugar belongs in the candy, Alec, not in the cornbread. That's the whole takeaway from this closing segment of our episode, the quiz, the Moulin Delicious, the Quiz at Hattersnack. Shout out Thuggish Ruggish <laughs> Still the best handle on Instagram. Can, can I talk about one more thing? Because I still got one more thing. No! You know we're at 46 nope. goddamn minutes, right? It's quick. Uh, it's not, if but all right. If you want to hear Josh's one more thing, join us next no, week. No, no, we're doing it right now. Happens. We're doing it right now. You told me I can go back. You this is going to be our Patreon. Back. The new Patreon is just Josh's <laughs> ramblings. Dual segment. Ugh, Josh meets one more thing. This isn't. This isn't deep. This isn't deep. This is just a, just a, de- a fun little detail that we forgot to talk about from the end of the last chapter, the first chapter, the, when uh, so after the Baron gives this tasty treat to his nephew, explaining to him that he's really setting him up just to be the emperor, Fade Ratha Harkonnen. He then tells him, now go kill all your whores. <laughs> sex workers, Josh. Sex workers. I don't think Actually, that's no, they part. are they are slaves. They they are not being compensated for that's their true. work. No, there's no there's no work. True. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, no, I just he's pretty brutal and then the uh, and then Fade's like, "Well, what if I don't do it?" And he's like, "Oh shit, he's just going to make it way worse if I don't do it. And the Baron's like, I know you, you're going to do it. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Oh, I did it. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to, to go back to it because it's 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 very Harkonnen. What a note to take us out on, Josh. Yeah, All thanks, Josh. That's so Harkonnen. Who are systematically <laughs> raped by the Harkonnens. We're murdered. And murdered. For the Barons. A really clean house. Well, pour one out. Oh my God. Now Alec has a one more thing. Well, just my point was mainly that it's that anecdote is interesting, mainly in how it reveals how shitty fate is, right? It's because he says like, oh, I could not do it. But then the Baron would just make me do something that would be less pleasant for me. Ooh. You know, the, right? the Baron would have just had someone Ugh. else do it anyway and done something less pleasant. Yeah. In addition. <sighs> anyway. All right. Uh, later, nerds. I can't believe you took the later nerds. That's fair. I, I try to take it every once in a while. It's real fun to say. 